Do you have a mission for your life? Have you ever actually thought about that? Like, what is the purpose of life for you? Like, what are you here for? You know, I think a lot of us, if you asked us over coffee, we would say something like, well, I want to be the best human I can be. I want to be the best dad and husband, son, coworker that, that I can be. And those are, those are excellent answers. But I wonder if you ask God, God, what is your mission for my life? Well, what would God say? See, I think what God would tell us is that his mission for us is for us to actually be a blessing. There's a man who lived uh, many years ago named Abram, and Abram has this encounter with God. You can read about it in, in Genesis chapter 12. And Abraham, Abram has this encounter with God, and he, he, God tells him this. He says that, Abraham, I want you to leave the country that you're living in now. I want you to leave your father's house, and I want you to go to a place that I'm going to show you. And when you go, I'm going to turn you into a great nation. What's interesting, many of you who know this story of Abraham in the Bible know that Abraham and his wife, um, Sarah, had no children. And they were getting advanced in age. And so for Abraham to hear that, that I'm going to actually have a child, that had to have been pretty shocking for him. And, And notice what God says to Abraham. He says, when you follow me where you go, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And notice what he says. He says, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And you and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Notice that God says this promise to Abram. He says, Abram, I'm gonna do something special through you to, to bring this blessing to the world. This idea of blessing is this idea of goodness, fullness, wholeness, happiness. And God looks at a world that had been broken by sin, that had been fractured from a relationship with him. And he says, Abram, I'm gonna do something special through you. And so then Abraham has a son. His son has a family. That family has a family and so on for generations. And then generations later, the the authors of the New Testament tell us This in Mark 1. I love what Mark says in Mark 1, chapter 15. Jesus steps out into his ministry and says, the time is fulfilled. That promise that God made to Abram long ago, the promise that God has used throughout all of the authors of the Old Testament for centuries, the time is fulfilled. That the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Isn't that cool? You know, the most real thing that you could ever know in your life is the promises of God. The most true thing that you could ever experience in your life, in our life, is the promises of God. Jesus will later say, John tells us, that he's speaking to a crowd. Many of them uh, are religious elite who are very much into the rule keeping and, and not relationship with God. He says this to them. He says that I came so that you may have life and have it abundantly, have it to the fullness, have life at a deepness and a richness. And that is that life that each of us know we were wired and created to experience. That's the reason that when things happen in the world, we groan and we, 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 we feel this pain because we know things should be better. Jesus comes to offer us something beautiful called the kingdom of God where blessing and goodness are found. And Jesus says, that is actually found in me. 
This week I had a couple light bulbs go out at home. And have you ever noticed that when you go to Lowe's or Home Depot, the light bulb says, this thing lasts 7,000 hours. And then it lasts like 70 hours. But then you can't find the receipt to take it back. You know, it's all part of the game. I'm pretty sure, right? You just never, when did I put that in there? Was that last year or last week? I think it was last week. Well, I was messing with some light bulbs and Courtney's like, you wish you changed light bulbs that often, right? Like, like we're just, you know, flickering lights around this place. So I, I, was, I was reading this week about the light bulb, though. It's so interesting. Um, as many of you know, Thomas Edison was the one who created the light bulb in 1878. And uh, the light bulb really was um, uh, revolutionary. Here's a picture of the carbon fulfill, fill, uh, carbonized bamboo filament that Edison discovered. So Edison tried thousands of different materials. He would try like cotton. He would try paper. He would try your cat's tail, right? Your lucky rabbit's foot. It didn't matter. He was trying whatever he could. And he finally found that it was the carbonized bamboo, which is interesting, that created the light bulb that he found would last 1,200 hours. And so when the light bulb was created, the light bulb really revolutionized our world. I want you to think about this. What are the things in your life that changes your li- has changed your life the most? Like maybe getting your license at 16. Do you guys remember when you got your license at 16 and you actually could drive with friends at 16? Kids today can't drive till they're like 25, right? Which is good for car insurance, I believe. That, it, that is good. But there's been a lot of things that have changed our lives, but have, has anything really changed our lives like the light bulb? You can see me because I can't see you, but you can see me because of the light bulb. You know, think about this. Before the light bulb, people walked around with candlesticks. What was that old song about Jack jumping over the candlestick? Like, that was legit. You bumped it with your shoe, like your house was burning down, right? So the candlesticks, you know, back in the days that Jesus lived, they walked around with these little oil lanterns that they had to, to fill with oil and trim the wick and all, all these things. When it got dark outside, you went to bed. And you didn't wake up till it was light. Some of you are like, I wish I slept that much, right? You know, people used to sleep 10 hours a day. Uh, but, you know, think about this. Work ended when the sun went down, unless you worked in a factory with candles, and then you're really in trouble. And so, like, the world was very different when all you had was candles and oil lamps. But the moment the light bulb was created, it changed our lives, and it revolutionized everything that we do. I want you to think about how interesting this is. Think about the light bulb and how it it brings light into the dark. You can walk outside. You can travel at night now because of light. You can walk out in your backyard when it's dark out and you hear a noise. I wouldn't recommend it, but you could do that. Light exposes all those pesky Chiefs fans, right, that are in your neighborhood that you hope aren't there I want you to see, when Jesus came to, to bring the kingdom of God down, it was like he brought the light bulb into our lives to shine into the darkness. The kingdom of God, the words of Jesus, bring this light into our life. That even in the midst of the darkness around us, or the midst of the hard times, or the challenges, we can experience God's goodness. We can have a bad diagnosis with our health. We can have a difficult situation in a relationship and still say, God, I am so blessed because of the kingdom of God that you've brought into my life. Now, some of you might hear that and go, you know what, Drew, I I come to church every Sunday. 
Drew, I, I, I know that there's been this time in my life when I've trusted in Jesus, but yet I don't feel that blessing. I don't feel that goodness. I think we've all been there at different times in our life and we just feel dry and stale and, and stuck. But I, I'm reminded again of the light bulb. You can sit in your living room and your house can be wired with really bright LED lights. But if you don't turn on the switch, what's it going to be? You're going to be sitting in the dark. We have to turn the switch on. And that's why we're in a series called Practicing the Way. This series that we're in called Practicing the Way, it's not about trying to earn gold stars from God. It's not about trying to stack chips in heaven someday because we were good enough and God wanted to bless us so we'd have extra benefits when we get to heaven someday. Practicing the way truly is about learning to turn the light on. So we've talked about things like, man, man, just spending time with God prayerfully. Spending time with God in his word. We've talked about being part of the church, coming to church. We've talked about serving in the church. Uh, Last week, Mitch talked about being part of the community as we take communion and we celebrate baptisms in the church. The reason we talk about these things, it's not for brownie points. It's so we can turn the light on. If you're feeling dry and disconnected and not blessed, not seeing God's goodness in your life, could it be that the light's been off? because you haven't been doing the things that Jesus shows us, draws us closer with God. So that's what we're spending time in this series and we're nearing in the end of the series. And today I wanna talk about something beautiful that Jesus shows us as he calls us to, to follow him. You know, what was interesting about Edison, did you know that Thomas Edison wasn't the first person to create the light bulb? There actually was a race to create the light bulb all the way back to 1802, 76 years before Edison created the light bulb. The problem was the guys that made the light bulb, it was either too expensive or it didn't last very long. Edison was on the journey to create a light bulb that was cheap and that would last. So just imagine that you're living around that time and you find out that Edison, or you hear that Edison created the light bulb, but nobody ever tells you really about it. That the light bulb exists out there, but you really have never experienced it. That you've never seen it. You've heard rumors about it. People have told you about light bulbs, but you just aren't really sure. And you have all these opinions about light bulbs and you never truly got to experience them. How different would your life be today? I would guess that you still be living in the dark. Jesus one day was out at the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is this beautiful body of water in Galilee, uh, northern, northern Galilee, Galilee, right next to Capernaum. And Jesus is teaching. He's on the, the edge of the shore and he's teaching about the kingdom of God. He's saying like the kingdom of God is this beautiful place where God turns the light bulb on for you. The kingdom of God is so valuable. It would be like a man who finds a pearl and sells everything else he has. A man who finds a treasure buried in a field and goes and sells everything else so he can buy that field. The kingdom of God is where goodness and blessing are found. And then this crowd presses in on Jesus. And so it gets in Peter's boat, Peter and his brother, Andrew. And he asks them to push back from shore. And so Jesus is teaching and Peter and Andrew are hearing these amazing words of Jesus. And he, Peter and Andrew are thinking, this guy's a, a prophet. Like this guy is incredible. Can you hear the wisdom of God in his voice? He has a authority. And then when they're done, Jesus tells Peter to cast his net and he catches so many fish. He has to call over another boat to get it. And at this moment, they're seeing this miracle. 
And then Jesus says this to Peter. Look at this in Matthew chapter four. He looks at Peter and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Peter was a fisherman. He didn't get selected to be a rabbi. He didn't get selected to follow Jesus and, or follow a rabbi into beautiful uh, religious life. Instead, he was a laborer on a, on, on a pond, sweating, hard work. And Jesus says, follow me. And we're going to do something beautiful together. And then notice he said, I will make you fishers, not of fish, but of men. And it says immediately John and, and James as well, or Andrew and, and Peter, and as well as John and James, followed him. Notice this. Jesus invites Andrew and Peter and James and John into this relationship of goodness. He says, let me turn the light on for you. Let me show you what goodness and blessing truly is like in your life. But here's the thing. If you're going to follow me, you need to know that we don't stop the light with us. We have to learn to share that light with everybody else. Thank God Thomas Edison shared the light with the world. And thank God somebody shared the light of the kingdom of God to you. And so Jesus, one of the beautiful and intimidating things Jesus tells us is that he calls you and I to also learn to share that light. And so as we talk about practicing the way, I want us to talk today about what it looks like to, to share the light. In the Sermon on the Mount, the next chapter of Matthew, Jesus says this about, your light. He says this, that you are the light of the world. Meaning if you know Jesus, that you have said yes to Jesus, that the kingdom of God is now moved into your life, that you are now a light, just like a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And just like you don't light a lamp or, or, or something at your house and set it under the table, but you set it so it actually brings light. Jesus says that when we shine our light, then other people see our good works and give praise and glory to our Father who is in heaven. Now, if you've been in a church for a while, you've heard this before. You've heard this verse before, and you're wondering sometimes, like, well, what does that look like? Does that mean I serve at a soup kitchen? Does that mean that I spend time with, with the homeless? Like, how do I actually shine my light? Well, I, I want to spend a little time digging in this to, into this today because I think Jesus shows us that we shine our light by being a blessing to others. Probably the um, most important verse about passing on the blessing is found in Matthew chapter 28. If you have your Bibles, you can flip to Matthew 28. I'll put the words on the screen. But in Matthew 28, Jesus, he, he calls his disciples together. Jesus has, he had died on the cross. He has risen from the grave. He had spent 40 days with his disciples. He spent 40 days with his disciples. And He's getting ready to, to leave them. He's telling them their marching orders. He's getting the church going. And here's what he says to them. He says, I want you guys to go and to make disciples. You guys are my disciples, my apprentices. I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations. He said, I want you to take this blessing that you have received, and I want you to go bless the world with it. And as you do, then I want you to teach them. I want people to get baptized and know that I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. And this beautiful call is what we call the Great Commission. Somebody say Great Commission. So this is the Great Commission, but this is also where Jesus gives us our mission. It's co-mission. It's our mission together. And, and Jesus calls us into this beautiful process called evangelism or witness. Now, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes when we talk about evangelism, it's a scary word. 
Like, I don't know about you, but something happens when I, when I hear the word evangelism. Like, I get tired automatically, right? Anybody's like, hey, you should go show your faith to that person. No, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. <laughs> I need a Red Bull, right? Like, I need to go home and I need to take a nap. Like, I don't know what it is about that word. It's intimidating. It's scary. It makes us feel exhausted. For a lot of us, if you, if you are a believer and you follow Jesus for any length of time and you've read your scriptures, you know that Jesus calls us to share our faith. And so that creates guilt. We're like, man, I haven't done it. I'm scared. I don't know how to do it. And it creates these feelings inside of us. You know, why is it so easy for me to tell Tony about my favorite restaurant, but it's so hard for me to talk to my neighbor about Jesus? You ever wondered why? Isn't that interesting? We can tell somebody about something, but yet when it comes to the most important thing that's blessed us the most, we're we're like kind of clamshelled. We're we're afraid to, to talk about it. You guys know in this series, we're talking about a lot of things that we asked you about in a discipleship survey we took last month. And uh, these, these things are just to help us get our minds around. We're not pointing fingers and we're not saying we're doing good or bad at anything. We're just saying, here's where we are. And so we asked the question, this question, here's a graph. We said, you know, do you find yourself inviting those that you know to Sunday morning services. Do you invite people that you know, friends or neighbors or coworkers or whatever to, to church? And, and here's, here's what you said, that out of the group, 53 of you responded to this question. Uh, 11 said yes. 28% said sometimes. Um, 32% said not really. And 28% said no. And, and as we look at these, I, I don't show you this to make you feel guilty. It's not the case at all. These numbers line up with what we see in culture. These numbers line up with what we see in the American church, that around 60% of people really just will say they really don't know how to do it, and so they don't. And so I, I show you this just because I want you guys to see that this is just a challenge that we all face because of our view of sharing our faith with people. It's our, it's our view. Jesus calls us to pass on the blessing, but we're, we're intimidated by it. It's scary. We're really not sure how to necessarily do it. And so if Jesus tells us it's important, but we're not very good at it, why is that? I think it's because we have the wrong idea about what evangelism really is. See, when, I, when a lot of people think of evangelism, they think of, I'm, I'm knocking on somebody's door, I'm a cold call. Anybody, anybody ever worked for New York Life Insurance? Don't raise your hand if, if you did right? Knock it on the door, cold call. Hey, do you know Jesus, right? That scares most people. And we think it's some guy with a Jesus saves poster walking through a concert or, or worse, we get this picture of evangelism. It's really what the world sees is that we're trying to tell that you are wrong for what you believe and I am right. And that just puts a a bad taste in people's mouth. There was a study recently that 47% of Christian millennials said it was wrong to evangelize. Because I think this view of evangelism being this like, I'm right and you're wrong. You're going to go to hell if you don't believe what I believe exactly like I believe it. It's pervaded our culture and people are really turned off by this idea. And so a lot of people just have said, look, I don't know how to do it. I don't really want to do it. And so I don't do it. And I want to show you something. I showed you this picture a couple of days ago. Uh, pastor I follow on social media. I really uh, admire H.B. Charles. He posted this picture. You guys remember this one? How to kill a church? Notice the very first one. Don't evangelize. 
Now you might, well, why? why, why how does that hurt churches? Because one of the missions that, that Jesus has given us is to help people experience the goodness and the blessing that come from the kingdom of God. But if we don't tell anybody about it, then nobody else is going to experience it. And then what's going to happen? Well, we're going to age out. The people coming up aren't going to have a care about it. They're going to go do something else. And the church is slowly going to dwindle. And I wonder if this is what has happened to a lot of churches in America. Now, when you feel this discomfort, when we talk about sharing our faith in evangelism, I want you to lean into it. Discomfort is good. Stepping into an uncomfortable place out of your comfort zone is good. So lean into it. Because this is something that Jesus talks about actually as something that brings beautiful blessings into our life. And so here's what I want you to see, that, that Jesus shows us something with sharing our faith in evangelism that is different than what we think it is. And so what I want you to see today is that Jesus talks about evangelism in a very different way. He says that we bless others, not by cold calls and not by Jesus saves, you know, at a, at a, at a concert. We, we don't necessarily pass the blessing on to the world because we tell somebody they're wrong and we're, white, we're, we're right. Instead, we, we bless others by building authentic relationships. Jesus is going to show us. So if you, you look at the way Jesus lived his life is that we bless others through the building of authentic relationships, not by telling somebody wrong that they're wrong and we're right, not by hounding somebody or trying to argue them into belief, but by through building authentic relationships. And we're going we're gonna to see how Jesus does this in the book of Luke chapter 5. Notice this, Luke chapter 5. Notice what Jesus does. This is so cool. So Jesus is out with his disciples and he's talking and he's sharing the truths of God's word. And he walks up to a tax booth and he meets a man named Levi. We also know him as Matthew. He's the writer of the first gospel in your New Testament. And, and he walks up to Matthew and Matthew, no doubt, lives in Capernaum, has seen Jesus, has heard these miracles of Jesus, has seen and heard his teaching. And so Jesus walks up and says, Matthew, come and follow me. And Matthew drops everything. Not off a whim, because Matthew has seen, he's seen who Jesus is. He's heard what Jesus does. So he goes and follows him. And notice what he does. He takes Jesus back to his house. Now, Matthew was a tax collector. No doubt Matthew had a, a nice palatial first century Jewish crib, right? And so everybody comes over. He's got the, he's got the smoker going. He's got the wings going. He's got the, the they, didn't, they didn't eat pork in those days. So he had the brisket going. It was like the Super Bowl party later at Ray's house. And so everybody's hanging out at Jesus and all these tax collectors and all these people that the religious elite think they're gross and yucky and people we don't want to spend time with. But here's Jesus. He, he, he could have just healed somebody of, of, of uh, some kind of a sickness. He could have done something majestic and, and um, miracle. But instead, what does he do? He goes to their house. He's hanging out with Levi and his buddies and he's eating with them. Notice this. Jesus is building an authentic relationship. And Jesus is giving us a model that we can actually do to pass on the blessing to. There was a book that came out a few years ago by a pastor in Chicago named Dave Ferguson called Bless. Somebody say bless. So God says that 
I'm going to, through my son, bless the world. Jesus tells us to go and to make disciples to bless the world. And so fittingly, there's a beautiful tool called bless that I want to teach you guys today. And in this tool, there's five steps to it. And I want to show you guys, when I talk about sharing our faith, I want you to take down the animosity or the fear of how scary it is to tell people about Jesus. And I want you to see that it truly is building relationships. And I want to give you some examples as we go. Here's what, what BLESS stands for. It says, begin with prayer, listen with care, eat together, serve with love, and share your story. Notice nowhere in there does it say go preach on the street. Nowhere does it say tell someone that they're wrong. No one in there does it say give somebody a hard time because they don't believe like you. Instead, it says begin with what church? Prayer. So I, I want to kind of walk us through this because I think this is beautiful. In, in Matthew chapter 9, not long after Jesus invites Matthew or invites uh, or Levi invites Jesus over to his house, Jesus and the disciples are back out again. And so now they're back out and Jesus, people just keep bringing sick people to Jesus. People keep bringing people walking through really hard times to Jesus. And Jesus is looking at these crowds. And then notice this, verse nine or chapter nine, verse 36 and 38. Jesus had compassion on the crowds, right? God loves us. God loves people. God created mankind in his, his image to be image bearers. And so Jesus has compassion on these people. And Jesus looks at his disciples. He says, the harvest is plentiful. There are people all around us that, that will respond to the gospel, but the workers are few. Pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I was with a missionary um, leader yesterday in Orange County, and his name is Eric Larson, and he leads a ministry called New Covenant Ministries. And they send um, missionaries to hard places to reach in Africa, like South Sudan, Kenya, Somalia, Ethiopia. And what he was saying was that he has so many, um, that the mission field is just so beautifully open right now. What they just need are resources to reach people because these villages are just responding to the gospel. He said last year, 41,000 people said yes to Jesus in animistic and Muslim villages in Africa. The people need to hear the gospel. And so Jesus says that we begin having a heart for people hearing the gospel by beginning with prayer. See, see, the truth is evangelism is never going to take root in your heart. You're never going to care about stepping out and being bold. You're going to have an excuse until you begin praying about it. This is just the reality of what it is. I, got a, I bought an old Jeep last year. And ever since I bought that Jeep, all I see on the road are Jeeps, right? You guys notice that? Anybody else have a Jeep in here? There's a gazillion Jeeps. I wish somebody would have told me this before I bought a Jeep, right? Like, I thought it was cool. Like, I got a Jeep. And I was like, yeah, so do I, right? Everybody has a Jeep. But, you know, they're, they're, I told you guys about the reticulator activating system in your brain, that as you start to think about things, you're, you have this filter in your brain that filters out all of the sensories and all the sensory things that you see, and you begin to see the things you think about. That's why when you're in a crowded room and somebody says, Drew, I turn, even though I can't hear anything else anybody's saying. My brain is listening for these things. When we begin to pray, our mind and our brain begins to listen and look for these opportunities. 
We begin to, and, and we're praying for just the opportunity for God to show us someone in our life that we can be intentional to bless by building a relationship with. You guys had some cards when I came in. You guys have those cards? Don't, hopefully you didn't blow your nose in it already. Pull it up and grab that card and I want you to flip it over and on the back is what we call the Frank list. Somebody say Frank. It's not the traditional spelling of Frank, I know. It's France. It's the Francis list, but I shortened it for you. Here's the idea that, that there is a Frank list that is filled out with friends, relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, and colleagues. And all that the, tool, the blessed tool says is begin to pray for a name. Begin to find somebody who's a friend or a relative or an acquaintance or a neighbor or a colleague who you can say, I'm going to pray for an opportunity to build a relationship with this person. Seriously, I'm not praying to go knock on their door, kick their door in and hit them over the head with the Bible. I'm literally praying to build an authentic relationship with them. I want you to hold on to that. I want you to look at that because we're going to come back to it. When, When I think about this, I... I think about, you know, kind of an example I wanted to share with you. And uh, so Courtney and I, we, we bought our house back in, in um, March of 2020, right when the world shut down. And we, we ended up moving into our home. And one, one of our prayers was we want to get to know our neighbors so that we can um, be able to build relationships with them and hopefully be able to share the truth of Jesus with them, to be able to invite them to church. And so as we moved in, we met our neighbors. And so we got their names, and we began to pray, God, open up a door for me to talk to them. See, I know evangelism, I know sharing your faith is intimidating, but one thing I know you can do is to pray for your neighbor or your coworker or your sister or someone and ask God to give you an opportunity to talk to them. Notice the second thing. We start with, we begin with prayer. Everything begins with prayer. Prayer is where we set our minds. We ask God, God, shape my heart to look for people who don't know you. Next thing we do is we listen with care. If you read the Gospels, you can't miss the fact that Jesus was always listening. At the woman at the well, John 4, Jesus is asking questions and listening. Jesus, he goes to Jericho, and there's a blind man. He's like, Jesus, 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 son of David. Jesus walks over. What can I do for you? He listens. There's a scene at the pool of Bethesda where Jesus goes and he meets this man who's been lame for 38 years. And, he, and he's been sitting there waiting for somebody to help get him to the pool. And Jesus walks over. He's Jesus. He knows what this man needs. And Jesus still walks over and goes, do you want to get better? Do you want to be healed? Of course he does. You're Jesus. You know. Why did Jesus ask? Because Jesus listens with care. This is the model that Jesus gives us, to listen with care. As you start praying, God, help me to get to know my neighbor. Help me to get their name. Now I start listening with care. I start getting to know them. I hear some of their story. For us, it was that neighbor next door who we met. And over the course of COVID, we're standing across the fence, just asking, finding out, just talking, joking, learning, hearing stories of backgrounds. Find out their names are Tyler and Jamie. Many of you guys know them now. That their mom, Jimmy's mom, Terry, had just moved in with them and she's battling cancer. And her and her husband, Glenn, are now having to sell their RV to live with their family. We start listening and learning about pain and we start learning about pressures and we start hearing about backgrounds and difficulties. All 
because we're listening, because we're building authentic relationships. I know sharing your faith is intimidating and daunting, but I know each of you guys can listen. We just have to be intentional to listen. Notice the third, it's my favorite one, by the way. The, the, the third one is eat. Have you also like that one? I wish that one was first, right? Like first, second, and third. But, but this is my favorite one. The, the, the favorite part of bless is to eat. You ever notice Jesus was always eating? That's why Jesus is my guy, right? He was just always eating. He was eating with, with tax collectors. He was eating with Pharisees. He was eating with lepers. I mean, you know, in the movie uh, Ocean's Eleven, if you watch that movie, Brad Pitt's always eating. Every scene he's eating, I feel like that was Jesus, right? He'd have some froyo, like, yeah, you know, let me tell you about the kingdom of heaven kind of thing. So Jesus always eating. In, in, in Luke 15, it says this. Jesus ate so much with people that the religious elite didn't like that they became a criticism of him. It says that now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes, they grumbled. They said, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. Oh, Really? It's the table where life happens. It's sitting across the table where we get to know each other. It's sitting across the table when we get to share stories. The magic of relationships is sitting and eating. And so if you guys aren't spending time with somebody that doesn't know Jesus, the easiest way to start is inviting them out to dinner, over to your house to eat, to a barbecue, for coffee, one Mother's Day, we had gotten to know our neighbors really well at this point, and so we invited them over, and we had a great barbecue in our backyard, and we had a great time eating and laughing and sharing stories, and I felt like it was as we were eating, we got to know them so well, and we got to talk about so much. It really helped us see how God was moving in this building of authentic relationships. I know sharing your faith seems out, like something out of your mind, but I know that you can eat because each of you wouldn't be here if you couldn't. And so I know you can spend time eating with someone, having a coffee with someone. The, the next one that we, we see in this blessed paradigm is serve. Somebody say serve. Now, the, the serve idea is just really simple. It's like as you build a relationship, as you get to know somebody, serve them. You can do anything to, to serve them. A few weeks ago, we talked about serving in the church and we saw this picture of Jesus taking off his outer coat and wrapping it around his waist and washing his disciples' feet. And Jesus says, look, you're not gonna get this now, but what I want you to see is that I came to serve you, not to be served. So therefore, serve one another. One of the best ways you can shine your light of Jesus by showing people that you care is literally serving them so that couple next door that we were building a relationship. Glenn's his name, Terry's husband. Glenn calls me up one day. He goes, hey, will you climb on top of my RV? I need to change the exhaust fan in the bathroom. And I'm like, I, yeah, let's go. <laughs> let's do it. You know, and I'm up there wrenching and turns out I couldn't even get the thing open, right? Like I definitely did not fix it. <laughs> but I tried. I served Glenn. Another time, Glenn said, hey, man, I need to drive to the doctor. Cool, I got you. I'll drop you off. I'll pick you up. Sometimes we think of service as this thing, man, every Monday morning, I got to do this thing for the next 12 years. It could be simple as mowing somebody's lawn, taking out the trash, shoveling their snow. You 
can serve someone. I know sharing your faith seems really intimidating, but I know you can serve somebody, your neighbor or your coworker or that friend. So after we serve, I want you to notice what is happening here. See, this is the interesting part. At this point in building authentic relationships, we've been praying, God, give me eyes to see someone that doesn't know you. And then we've been starting to talk to them and we've been listening with care. And now we've eaten with them. We've been in their home. They've been in our home. We're, we're friends at this point. And, and we're not doing this just because we want to sell them something. We're doing it because we love them, because we want to bless them. Somebody say, I want to bless them. So we build these relationships and we serve them. That's one of the ways we bless them. But the ultimate way we bless them is by sharing what God has done in our lives and how God can do that same thing for them. See, at this point, you're simply sharing your story. Notice the last thing of this is serves or is share. Somebody say share. The last piece of this is literally sharing your story. Here, you know why we don't like evangelism? Because we're afraid somebody's going to ask us all kinds of really hard questions. Well, by this point, we've already hung out with them a few times. We've already gotten to know them. They know that you're a Christian at this point. They know that you're a follower of Jesus, right? At this point, you've already served them. They know that you're not cold calling them. They know that you're not telling them that they're some some person who's living wrong, but instead they've seen your life and how your kindness and your compassion and the way you speak to your spouse and the way you speak to your kids. And they've seen you even if not at your best and you've been able to say, you know, man, I failed too. And sorry if you overheard heard me yelling at my dog last night. You know, I, I know I was kind of loud at three in the morning, right? But he just wouldn't stop barking, right? Just whatever it is. And then we have the opportunity to share our story of what God has done for us. See, we're not put on trial trying to convince them to believe. They have seen you shine your light. And now you are friends. And as friends, we can share our stories. One night, Jesus was meeting with a guy named Nicodemus. It was dark out. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was afraid of getting in trouble by talking to Jesus. And so Jesus and Nicodemus are talking, and Jesus, Nicodemus asked Jesus these questions, and it was the point for Jesus to share the story. And that's when Jesus gives us the famous verse in John three sixteen. Jesus looks at Nicodemus. He says, look, the reason I'm here is because God loved the world so much that he sent his only son. So whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And here's the beautiful thing that Jesus says. John 3.16 gets all the run, but John 3.17 is so beautiful because he says, for God did not send his son to condemn the world because when you don't believe, you're already condemned, but instead so that the world would be saved through him. That's the story of the gospel. And you have a story as a believer, you know, in that moment, they know your heart. They know you. It's just a chance for you to tell them what Jesus has done in your life. See, this is, this is a beautiful thing. This is what being blessed is, is all about. It's building relationships so that the others can experience the goodness and the blessing. If we, didn't, if we don't share it with them, are they going to stumble upon it? Chances are no. This is how we share that blessing with the world. But here's the reality, guys. You got to know that this is going to take a long time. This isn't like quick evangelism. This isn't like, oh, I shared my faith three times this week. You could do that. But it's not this. 
This is the commitment to journey with people by building authentic relationships and friendships for the long haul. Because good things take time. There's a great story called the 20 Mile March. Anybody ever heard this one before? There was these two groups that were uh, trying to trek to the South Pole in 1911. And so there were, there were two teams and they were in a race to see who could get to the, the South Pole first. And so they, they set out with different plans. One of the groups decided that their plan was they were going to go as far as they could, no matter the weather, no matter the circumstances, until they were exhausted. And then they would stop and camp for the night. The second group had a different plan. The second group took like the tortoise and the hare approach. The second group decided we're going to go 20 miles. It doesn't matter how good the weather is, how bad the weather is at 20 miles, we're going to stop and we're going to camp. Which team do you think won? It's interesting. Which one was successful? So the the team uh, led by a a man whose last name was Amundsen uh, marched 20 miles a day, no matter what. And they got to the South Pole first, more importantly, all alive. The second team, led by Robert Falcon Scott, their bodies were found the next spring. See, the, the reality is we, we live in a microwave culture. We want everything to go fast. God says, take your time, build your relationships, and bless people through the beauty of relationships. Romans 10 says this. I'm going to end with this. Jesus says through the Apostle Paul, how then Well, people who don't know me call on me. Paul says, how then will people who don't know Jesus call on him when they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Wouldn't you love to get to heaven someday and Jesus go, man, you got beautiful feet. I'd be like, Jesus, you haven't seen these feet. And that card I gave you guys, I want you to grab that. And I want you to look on the back. And I want you to look at that Frank list. And here's the question. Who's your one? Who's the one person that God brings to mind? Right now, I want you to pray. I want you to grab a pen. We made sure there's pens in every seat back. Grab a pen. Who's your one? Who's your friend or your relative or your acquaintance? Or pull out your phone and use a note. Who is that colleague or that neighbor, who is the one? I want you to write their name down. Seriously, everybody, write a name down, and I want you to begin to pray, literally. That's all we're asking you to do. Just begin to pray. For us, it's our new neighbors who we just met. That's our one. Who's your one? You might be here today, and you might say, you know, Drew, this whole Jesus thing, I don't know about it. I really, I'm not sure. I, I want you to see what Jesus t- is, is offering to us is goodness. That Jesus is offering to us is beauty and blessing. And he just simply calls us to put our faith in him and believe and then to follow. By putting in these practices, we turn the light on and we can experience that goodness and that grace. But for us that are believers, Jesus is calling you to pass on the blessing. And this is one way to do it. And I believe that all of us can do this. And Jesus tells us that when we do this together, we bless the world in a beautiful way. So I pray we can journey through this together. Would you pray with me?